Well, good morning to all. It's good to be here today to worship together, is it not? It is. Let us, uh, as our custom, stand together as we read from the book of Mark this morning, chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, and we are there, you can't stand, and in honor of God's word. We'll be reading from verse 30 in Mark chapter 6. It says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve basketful of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Lord God, we thank you for this day and for your word, the reading of your word. As we are often reminded, this is the only perfect part of this morning. And for the parts that are imperfect, we ask for your help and your guidance and your blessing. May your spirit come, work in our hearts and lives this morning. We pray all this because of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Several years ago, Shelley and I had the opportunity to go uh, to the Ukraine, uh, to Czech Republic, to do some uh, youth worker training in the Eastern European countries. And our time there that took place was not too long after uh, communism had, uh, had fallen. And uh, when it fell, there, there was this vacuum that was left where the mafia came in and began to rule. And we went from, first of all, the Czech Republic, where we had just a wonderful time in a great setting working with people uh, who were desirous to see youth come to know Christ. And our trip to Ukraine was something that was a little bit different. Because what we had to do was they, they put us in this van, this Volkswagen van, said, get your seat, get comfortable, and then they packed everything around us. And in sitting in this van, they then said, here we go, and it was about 6 o'clock in the evening that we took off, and I got to see Poland by night. We drove straight through Poland, had some sausage there, which meant we had Polish sausage, and drove all the way through overnight till we got to the Ukraine. And the reason that they wanted to do this is that when we reached the border of Ukraine, it was going to take some time because the officials were still in the communist mentality, and it could take 
a lot of interrogation in order to get through. However, God was gracious because at 5 in the morning they didn't really want to deal too much with people coming in, so they let us through, and we made it to our hotel. And as we were staying at the hotel, about an hour later they said, we're going to have a meeting with the leaders that are here and those that are going to be uh, in charge of this conference that we were at. And so as we sat with these leaders, we began to hear the stories of all the things that had taken place in Ukraine and how the communists were, uh, were so strongly heavy-handed on them, but that when the mafia came in, it was even worse. Because what they would do is they would extort money from people, and if they weren't willing to pay for the insurance to stay alive, then they would kill them. And we found out that this also left a vacuum when the communism left of, of the gospel being able to come in and preach. And we knew that these people that were coming to this conference would be traveling for miles, some of them traveling for more than 20, 30 hours by train to be there. And it was an exciting time. And, and to be able to present to all these youth workers ways to do youth ministry. But about halfway through, I realized, you know what? I don't know if we're truly meeting the needs of these people here. We can give them all kinds of Western techniques to do things. The egg and armpit relay. You know, all these fun games and stuff like that. But I wonder what it is that they really need. And so we began to sat down, sit down with people and talk to them individually, meeting with them and, and finding out their stories and finding out how hard it was for them and that what they really needed were the things to be able to just love on the kids that they had. And so in this, we were able to just really communicate with them a little more effectively. And by the time the conference was over, we had gained such a relationship with the people there and realized that God was doing more in their lives than we ever could imagine, that we were blessed, I believe, more than they were when we left. And though their hardships there and their difficulties there were, were great, God provided over and over for them. And one of the provisions was us being able to go there. But our hardships and our difficulties were great as well, but God provided for us too. While crammed in the van, yes, it was uncomfortable, but we made it. We were safe. And God showed His working the whole time that we were there. And it's interesting that when we engage in ministry and we begin to open ourselves up to serving others, what God will do. It's going to get messy and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard. But Jesus will provide for us everything that we need to effectively minister to others. And while the work is hard, when we serve others, we get to participate in the eternal work that God is doing in people's lives. And it's exciting. This is exactly what's happening here in this passage this morning. Is Jesus is going to be performing this great miracle. Look with me at verse 30, because it says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told them all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. So here Mark is setting up this account that doesn't even seem connected at all to the miracle that he was going to perform. Because right away he's here talking more about missions and serving than anything else. But there are two things that would indicate to us that this account is related to this passage. The first is, that, is this, that Mark uses the term apostle to describe the function of the disciples 
and their missionary journey that they went on. It identified them as those who were going out to preach the good news, to heal the people who were sick, and to cast out demons. Jesus had given them this authority to be able to do so. And then second thing that happens is Mark tells us that they were giving Jesus a report on all that they had done and taught. And this can be seen in verse 7. If you would look at chapter 6 of Mark at verse 7 there. He says, And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. Skipping to verse 12. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent and they cast out many demons anointed and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. They had worked hard on this trip. They had met with Jesus and they were now spending this time to be able to recuperate, to be able to get back into sync with what was going on and they retired to a desolate place. Verse 32 says, and they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now it's important for us to realize that when we are doing ministry, when we are serving others, when we are out there on the front lines being an example of who Christ is in our lives, is that we cannot really take a vacation. Yes, we can go on vacation, but we should never check our Christianity at the door when we leave. It's something that's interesting because when we say we are followers of Jesus, it's not only what we do in following Jesus, but it's who we are. It's who we are all the time, every time, every day, every hour, every year. We are believers. We are Christians. And we represent Christ all the time. And all the time, we represent Christ. And it's important for us to remember this, that yes, we can take the time to be able to relax and be refreshed, but we must always remember that we represent our Lord and Savior. Look at verse 33. It says, Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Here's this picture. Jesus got into the, in the boat with his disciples, and they begin to head over across on a lake. And as they're going, people who had heard Jesus before saw them going and took this opportunity to go hear him again. They were so excited that they just began running. Now, to cross a lake it was only about four miles. But shoreline is a little bit different. So it took them about eight miles to get to the other side. And if you can picture this people just so excited that they're going to go meet Jesus, that they're running and running and running. And as they're running, people are seeing this crowd begin to grow because the towns are coming out and they're joining in in this run. Maybe some were skipping, some maybe hobbling and walking, but they were working it. They were just trying to get there in order to be with Jesus. It was a hard run for him. The distance wasn't short. I know I would struggle running that far, but I would really want to be there. And sometimes I think the questions that we have to wrestle for, for ourselves is, how were you coming here this morning? Was it a hard, difficult journey? It might have been. Getting ready sometimes can be difficult. But did you have to run here? And when you were preparing yourselves to be here and, and you are here right now, were you and are you excited to be here? Did you want to come to meet Jesus? These people certainly did. Verse 34, Now, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. 
And he began to teach them many things. Of course, this would really be the most opportune time to be able to talk about sheep. How sheep are not really the most intelligent swimmers in the animal gene pool. That they need to be led by a shepherd because they're always wandering off and lost. But I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to mention any of those things. But instead, I would like to point out that the nature of sheep is such that they have to be led in order to survive. And so here Jesus sees this group of people, this crowd of people before him, and they are without a leader, and he has compassion on them. He looks at them and he sees them, and he knows that they are being led in the wrong directions. They are being led by religious leaders who are only interested in their own comfort, who are only interested in their own pursuits, who are only interested in their own status and welfare. They put rules and regulations on these people that are too hard to even comprehend. And yet they don't lift a finger to help at all. And so Jesus has this compassion, a compassion that literally is translated this, this inner reaction from the gut that he sees them. He is that, he is that moved by their desire to be there and want to be following him and what he says. Dr. Edmund uh, Hubert said that Jesus' compassion is an illustration of that wonderful love that never sought its own, but always forgot its own needs and worries and sorrows and sympathy and care for the burdens and sorrows of other people. The crowd needed compassion, and Jesus gave it to them. And this is wonderful for us to know, really, because that same compassion that Jesus had on these people, He has on us today. That if it wasn't for His compassion, we would not have the salvation that has been granted to us because of what Christ did on the cross. His shed blood, His atoning sacrifice, so that we might live. And in doing so, we are clothed in righteousness, and when God looks at us, He does not see our sin, but He sees the righteousness that is Christ, scribed to us, and declares us to be righteous ourselves. It's wonderful news, and that's the compassion of Christ. And this morning, if you don't know that, I invite you to explore that, to talk to anybody who might and does know who Christ is. His compassion is wonderful. Verse 35 says, And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages, and buy themselves something to eat. Now, because this was a spontaneous Sunday go to meet and gathering, the people who ran there did not have time to collect for themselves any, any food or even think about food. Their only goal at that point was to get there because they wanted to be with Jesus. And, of course, there were probably people who were there who were hungry and eventually would become hungry. And the disciples, in their own way, were kind of showing compassion towards these people because they were thinking of their, their physical wel welfare, just as Christ had been thinking of their spir spiritual welfare when, they were, when he was teaching them because of their, their, uh, their need to be uh, taught because the religious, religious leaders weren't doing so. But the reality is that the disciples were probably more interested in themselves than the fact that they hadn't eaten also. 
And looking at this crowd, we know that it was 5,000 men. There was no way that they were going to be able to be fed. But then Jesus does something that is kind of amazing here. Because in verse 7, he says, 37, he says, he answered them, you give them something to eat. Now, I don't know about you, but that was totally surprising. I've read this story and heard this story so many times, but that one little verse there jumped out. Because basically what Jesus said is, you do it. He suddenly placed the whole responsibility of feeding this massive group of people squarely on the shoulders of the disciples. And how were they going to do this? There was no way. They didn't have the resources. In fact, they talk about if they were to perform this impossible task, just what it would cost. And what it would cost would be something that they couldn't even cover. And I know that I've looked back in my ministry sometimes, and I've wondered, how in the world am I going to handle some of the situations that I come, come across? How am I going to be able to do this? And just as Jesus commanded the disciples, you do it, he's done the same for me and, and asked me to do the same. There are times that I remember coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, how do I comfort, how do I comfort a family who has just lost their son? How do I meet the needs of, of a pregnant teenager? How do I communicate the love of Christ to an abused child? How do I pray for that father who has just found out he has terminal cancer? Impossible tasks, it seemed to me. But God was saying, you do it. If you're going to minister to people, if you're going to be involved in my work, I will provide for you, but you do it. And He will do it for you as well. When you go out and serve and minister to others, He will provide what you need at the right time. And as verse 37 goes on, it says, And they said to Him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And He said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. So the disciples, again, had no resources of their own. They, their first thought was, how do we buy bread? Now, for us, it's a little bit interesting because we don't translate denarii in the same way. And denarii was basically the amount of wage a, person would see, a common person would receive for working a single day. Now, doing a little bit of math, which I'm not known to be good at, uh, in our perspective today, an ordinary man, say, working at $12 an hour, would make about $96, or, yeah, $96 a day before taxes. Okay? And then what he would make in a month would be about $1,920. And in eight months' wages, it would be $15,360. That's what he would have to come up with in order to feed all these people. Now, I've got to do this because it just begs to be having it done. That's a lot of dough for a lot of dough. Good you are awake and with me. <laughs> but, but, but what's interesting is Jesus' solution to the, to, the, to the needs that the people had in the use of the disciples was completely different than what the disciples had. He said, now go out and find out just how much food is available to us. How much resources do we have? And what they found out was that there were, What? About five loaves, a couple of fish. Barely enough resources to feed one person, let alone 5,000 plus. And 
in, in kind of perspective on that as well, we know didn't have the perspective on denarii, but also the perspective on, on what the bread and the fish looked like is that a loaf it was not like we understand a loaf. It's not in a little plastic bag that you go to the store and perfectly sliced. What their loaf was was considered to be something flat, more like a tortilla. And it was hard like a cracker. And then they had fish that was either salted or dried that they would put on it kind of like a relish. So really it was, it was the type of food that was prepared for somebody who was going to be traveling because it needed to stay uh, preserved. And this was the manner in which they preserved that food. So here Jesus is, is finding out that this is all they have as the disciples have gathered it for their resources. And it says here in verse 41 that he took the five loaves and the two fish and he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. So here we have this picture. And how the, the text read here is that when a person went and they looked up to heaven and had something to offer, they would literally hold up what it was that they were wanting God to bless. And so here is Jesus standing there holding up this bread and this fish and saying, here, Lord, is our meal. Bless this. May the people have this and be satisfied with it. And commentators have written, students who have studied far longer on these passages than I ever have, they all agree that one of the things that was taking place is that Jesus was raising this up so people in the back can see that God was going to be doing a miracle. And that when they began to receive this food, that what was happening is that it was coming from the hands of Jesus to be provided for these people. Jesus would be the one to provide for the people what they could not have for themselves. The resources that they needed in order to be fed and nourished and satisfied. And then it says here that, that uh, verse 42, And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Here we have this miracle performed, that they were satisfied. It doesn't say that they were full, but it says that they were satisfied. Jesus gave them just what they needed at that time. And he used his disciples in order to meet that need. He said to them, you feed them, you go and do it. And the same thing holds true for us today. When we become servants of Christ following his example as a servant... We are part and parcel to the work that He is doing. For we are His workmanship. We have been created in Christ Jesus to do good works as He's seen fit for us to do. And in the midst of this, and in the midst of difficulties that we might face, the thing that is so amazing that Jesus will always provide the resources we need in order to effectively minister to others. In order to reach out and serve those who have need. And there are three things that we need to think about as we seek to effectively minister to others. And the first one is this. Serving effectively is hard work, but exciting work. Serving effectively is hard work, but exciting work. The thing about it is that there will always be people in need. There will always be people out there who are hurting. There will always be people who who are just unable to care for themselves. And it is our responsibility, our job, to be able to 
reach out to these people. And even though it might seem frustrating because it never is a never-ending work and it's hard and difficult, again, Jesus will give us that resource we need to complete the task. People might not be very grateful for what you are giving them. They might even reject Jesus when they hear that message. But that does not mean that we should not go out and minister to others. It's difficult. It's messy. Doing all these things in Jesus' name to where we can go out and serve is messy business. And it's been said when we put ourselves in the position of a servant, God provides opportunities for us to minister. Sometimes we want to help people without getting too close to them. But to show and model love, we have to get close, even when it isn't comfortable or clean. And when we minister to people and we experience these people who have needs but don't want it, there is a certain heartache that goes along with it. That there are struggles and difficulties that they have and there are burdens that we might want to carry for people. But one of the greatest pieces of advice I had ever received in going into ministry was that I cannot carry the burdens of all those people who are in need. So the one thing that I needed to do was to recognize that I needed to not be a warehouse but instead be a warehouseman. And the difference is this. A warehouse stores everything. The warehouseman knows where everything is stored. So that when a need arises and I need to go back and help somebody, I know exactly where it is, but I'm not the one carrying it. And what's amazing is even though the serving is hard, there are those times where we see glimpses of God working in people's lives. He lets us see what He's doing And it always seems to be just enough to keep us going to want to serve more. Back in the day, when Mike and I were first beginning ministry together, we would run day camps. These were week-long camps during the summer, and we'd have four, six, seven different camps going on during the week for, for kids. And working with fourth and fifth graders when I first started out was somewhat of a difficult task to serve. If you've ever worked with kids for for any length of time, if you go on an overnight trip with them, there's a level of excitement that is heightened because of the fact that they have just now gotten to go camping. And so here we were on this overnight trip down in San Diego at a KOA campground, going to be sleeping outside in the the, uh, open air, and I have 100 kids and leaders who are just running around all over the place. In fact, it was like controlled, well, it wasn't even controlled chaos. It was just chaos, flat out. And I'm thinking kids, you know, kids are running up. They're asking me question after, when are we going to eat? What are we going to eat? You know, and we're trying to get the thing going. You know, how long, how long before, you know, we're going to the zoo the next day. Can we see this animal? Are we going to do this? Or just question after question. And I remember feeling so frustrated at this whole thing and thinking this is harder than it was supposed to be. And one other kid came up to me and asked me one more question. Hopefully there would be enough bail to get me out of jail. And sure enough, at that moment, there's a tug on the back of my shirt. And I turn around and I say, what do you want? This little kid looks at me and says, I just love being at day camp. It's so fun to learn about Jesus. And then turns around and runs away. I thought, Lord, (laughs) thanks for that glimmer. Thanks for just that one moment to be able to see. It didn't get any better, by the way. It was still chaos the whole weekend. But just that one little bit was able to to make it all worthwhile. 
to say, I'm involved and Jesus is using me. And the thing is, is that when we turn our hearts out towards others, then what happens is that we are inwardly blessed. And we can rely on that all the time. Number two, serving effectively recognizes the needs of others. Serving effectively recognizes the needs of others. We're in a world, people are in a world this day that really don't know Christ. They don't know who He is, and they are like sheep without a shepherd. And of course, the instincts of sheep are going to always be to follow something. And if they're not following Christ, then they're following the world. But what does it mean to follow Christ? What does that look like? Well, sandwiched between the disciples going out and doing missions ministries in Mark 6, verses 7 and onward, is the story of John the Baptist and his beheading. What is it like to follow Jesus? It's a hard place to be headed. But it's good to be headed that way. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's just... That one was free. It wasn't even in my notes here, so... So it's a difficult task to be... The road is narrow. Jesus speaks of it specifically. But for the, for the path that those who don't know Christ, the road is wide open and it's an easy one to travel. So the question is, with these people who don't know Christ, who are on the wrong road, how do we minister to them? Well... It's very simple, the same way Jesus did with compassion. We need to show them the compassion and the love of Christ that they so desperately need. Eric Swanson in his book, The Externally Focused Church, says that often we might think that people just need more or better information in order to believe, to get on the right path. But what they really long for is authentic compassion. Few are asking, what must I do to be saved? Instead, they are asking, what can I do to make my life work? And when people who talk about a loving God who saves and then demonstrate His love, then the gap between doubt and faith is narrowed and the people around them often find themselves wanting to believe. We have something that people so desperately need. And in our compassion, we need to show that to them. A little kindness goes a long way. And if you were part of the ministries that we'd done over at the Community Day School, you would have seen that. In fact, the first time we went over there, I was in the office with one of the teachers and as the people arrived, as you all arrived, car after car driving in, one of the teachers in tears said, nobody's ever done anything like this for these kids. We showed compassion. They needed that kindness. The third thing that we need to do is we need to be serving effectively or serving effectively without Jesus is impossible. Serving effectively without Jesus is impossible. And sometimes when we look at the tasks and we think they are so impossible, what we want to do is make up excuses not to serve. You might say that the task is too big, that you can't handle that much responsibility. But you know what? God has given you specific gifts for you to be used in the church. And He will give you the responsibility that is in proportion to what you can handle. He's done that for me over and over again. When I thought I couldn't take something on, I found out that my inabilities were not God's inabilities. And that He would always provide what I needed. The second thing is we might think that we don't have enough resources. 
This is kind of the how full or how empty is the glass. If you choose to use your gift and recognize that God is going to provide, then your glass is half full and you will say, you know what? God is going to provide even though I don't know if I have the resources. And if you don't have those resources, then one of the things that we can do is just go out and find them. Again, we did a youth trip to Catalina once with a bunch of junior high kids. These were kids who had grown up at the beach and were pretty ocean savvy. I was not. I didn't grow up at the beach. And I thought, how am I going to do water activities of snorkeling, of of fishing in a boat, of, of driving a boat for that matter? What do I do if I catch a fish? You know, all these type of things. I had no clue. So what I thought was, I better find somebody that has a clue. And so one of our leaders who became involved in the ministry was the one who led our program. And one year they hooked a shark and brought it in. And this last men's fishing trip, we had a shark brought in. It's pretty exciting. The fishing was lousy, but the shark was fun. The other thing that uh, is impossible to do without Jesus and and can be a cop-out for us is that we look for an easier way out. In other words, we can just be flat-out lazy. But you know what? God has called us to do more than what we are doing now. You might look out there and say, "But, but Jesus, there's just way too much. Why don't we just send the people away? But no, what does he do? He says, you do it. He says, you do it, you go, and you feed them. And that's what we need to be about in serving others. There's all kinds of opportunities here at Grace to be serving, whether it's in a Sunday school class, whether it's being part of a home group, whether it's being in any capacity in missions and outreach. We have those opportunities for you to serve There's service that can be done out in the community. There are things that can be taken advantage of that's already taking place for people. Service is all over. We just need to be willing to be involved and do it. Perhaps it's it's adopting a restaurant that uh, you need to, to go to, that you go to frequently and get to know the waitresses there or the owners. Maybe there's a, you have a sphere of influence of, of people that you meet with on a regular basis. Those are the places that we go and we can serve and we can minister to others. And God wants us to do it. He wants us to get out and to serve. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you for all that you provide for us. Lord, that we can be effective in ministry is only because of your work in our lives. And Lord, as we have these opportunities to be able to meet others' needs with compassion and kindness, we ask that you would help us to do so. And Lord, if we need to move outside of our comfort zone, we ask for a gentle nudge to be able to get us there. Lord, that we know that when we turn our hearts towards others, They are affected outwardly, but Lord, we are affected inwardly because we have been obedient to go out and feed them. We thank you, Father, and we do pray all this because of Jesus. Amen.